Connor, welcome to the Bitcoin Source. Can we start things off by having you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you having me on, Dadu. Uh, my name is Connor, I'm Bitcoin Pleb. Uh, graduated college in 2020 and started going rapidly down the rabbit hole to kind of fill the hole in my heart that was left uh, when I hung up the football cleats, played football for 11 years. So uh, started going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole afterwards. And I guess, as I say, the rest is history. Just uh, just the pleb who loves writing about Bitcoin and doing his part to get the world on a, a Bitcoin standard. So money's backed by open source software and math rather than uh, debt and violence. I hear that. And um, Connor, you know, I'm just... And I said this to you before we got on the show. Um, I just love the fact that, you know, you're so ambitious, you're so young and you're just so hungry to learn and spread the good word about Bitcoin. And I really want to know, which is my first question. I want to know, you know, what inspired you to get into Bitcoin? Where did you source your knowledge from, whether it was people, books, courses in the ecosystem? So could you kind of give a quick uh, breakdown of like some of those things that might have helped you to become a better Bitcoiner? Yeah, absolutely. So the first uh, time I ever heard about Bitcoin was in 2017. I was playing college football and one of my friends, one of my teammates, he, he told me about this Bitcoin thing and put a little money and we watched a documentary together called Banking on Bitcoin. And I remember at the time watching that documentary thinking like, yeah, this is a cool idea, you know, being able to transact and not have to have any third party. It's kind of like cash, but like a digital type thing. Uh, this seems cool. And I remember going on Coinbase and thinking to myself, like, it's kind of ironic that I'm having to use a third party here. Uh, but unfortunately, I didn't do much more digging until uh, 2020 after graduating, kind of started going down the rabbit hole. Um, I, and I think the book that really kind of solidified my Bitcoin maximalism, if you will, uh, was Safe Dean's The Bitcoin Standard. You know, when I first was buying cryptos in 2017, I was like, oh, I got to diversify. Like anyone to be investor knows, you know, you got to diversify. So let me buy a bunch of this stuff. And then uh, getting shipped a stimulus check, I could tell something was deeply wrong with our system in 2020. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to go back to this Bitcoin thing, do some more research. And then, you know, reading the Bitcoin standard that, you know, followed that with the fiat standard. And then there's just so many great podcasts like this one. I mean, there's such a plethora. The What Is Money Show with Breedlove, um, Preston Pitch's Bitcoin Fundamentals. The list just goes on and on. So I just kind of started consuming as many podcasts as I could, reading articles on Bitcoin magazines, like some you've written, uh, plenty others. And I am still learning every day, you know. It's kind of one of these things where, you know, you, you start going down the rabbit hole and then you realize there's always something else to learn. So every day just trying to learn as much as I possibly can and consume as much quality content, being very conscious of uh, what my content diet looks like. You know, a lot of people's introduction, especially when they want to contribute to Bitcoin, I always tell people that um, writing for publications is always a really good start to get in and to really get your feet wet. And I really think like yourself and Mickey Koss um, are perfect examples of people that are relatively new to the space as far as um, articulation and article um, contributions, but you've already made such a huge impact. Like I just recently read um, your article on Bitcoin Magazine, and I just was like, you know, I've been in the space since 2017, so I, I have a little bit of experience, but it's always refreshing to hear new and different points of view on Bitcoin, especially coming from uh, the younger generations, because that's what's super important. Like we have to continue to orange pill people um, as each generation goes by and it's just really comforting to see um, young people, you know, coming out of college, coming out of high school, and they're still focused on Bitcoin or learning about Bitcoin and trying to spread the good word. So uh, thank you, Connor, for, you know, your contributions thus far. Oh, my pleasure. It's, it's such an amazing thing when you go down the rabbit hole because uh, 
it's you're learning in a way that excites you that you can see the real impact it has on the world versus just trying to memorize something to get a grade for a test you know i, I think a lot of people who spend time in uh, just for lack of a better word the fiat world there's a lot of nihilism you know if you're clicking a spreadsheet all day if you're doing some desk jobs there on a computer screen because you don't actually feel a passion for it it's like like a black hole like a like a pit in your stomach it, it, it just drags the life out of you whereas uh you know, all those Bitcoin magazine articles, I, I didn't get paid to do them. I just love writing about Bitcoin. I love learning. I love spreading the good word. And it's a paradox in the sense that most people come to this because the number go up technology, the fact like, ooh, this could be a really good investment. But then you start studying, you're like, no, this is like the most moral case for money in the world. This is a tool that's going to help humanity thrive and prosper and allow, uh, you know, the escalator that is technology that makes everyone's life better to make everyone's life better rather than a select few at the top who control the money. Yes. Couldn't agree with that more. And, you know, I really like want to pose a question to you and kind of pick your brain on this, but do you believe that Bitcoin will create a world where wealth is irrelevant and what will the price of tomorrow be when, you know, this exclusive minority of people that have access to Bitcoin now, like, what do you think they'll be uh, down the road once more people are orange pills? Yeah. I think at some point, you know, I think, humans do a horrible job understanding exponential growth, myself included. Um, and if technology continues to just make all our lives that much better, I do think we can see a future where we get kind of to a, a post-scarcity society where we have enough goods uh, for everyone in the world. But I'm not sure. I, I think that's going to be maybe a hundred years. And, you know, it, it's really hard to estimate that with, with how fast exponential growth can come. But I, I do think there, there's a great uh, Naib Bukele quote that I heard Max Kaiser say, and it's like, the money is enough when no one steals. And, and I think Bitcoin can allow that. I think it also fixes the incentives for social media and so many of these platforms. You look at stuff like Noster and this idea that you can just, you know, someone makes a post that made you laugh or that you thought was valuable or spreading a good, you know, word. It's like you can just zap them a few sats and uh, 10 sats is like less than a penny. So, so, you know, there's no sweat off my back. I'll send someone 10 sats if they post something of quality. And it just kind of gets away from this current model we have of, uh, you know, a subsidized Internet by advertising. You know, I was in uh, New Hampshire a couple months ago, and I don't have cable TV. Usually I'm just watching a podcast. So, you, like, it's all streaming services now. But I was at a hotel in New Hampshire, and they had on cable. And so, you know, you'd see the commercials when you were watching a movie. And there were three types of advertisements. It was either an alcohol advertisement, a fast food advertisement, or a pharmacy or a pharmaceutical advertisement. And if those are the three people advertising to the vast majority of Americans, it's, it, you know, you, you got to think, where is the money coming from? Who's funding these people? And I think it just leads to a whole wrong set of incentives when the three things you're showing the vast majority of Americans on, you know, for, for advertisements is fast food, pharmaceuticals, and uh, alcohol. Yeah, most definitely. And, um, you know, it's kind of crazy, too, because you can kind of get emotional about Bitcoin when you're really passionate about it. And just talking about the incentives and what you're talking about as far as um, what people are kind of subconsciously just being, you know, pounded into their minds when they're consuming content or watching TV or looking at sports. And I wanted to kind of hear your thoughts on like the FTX implosion and how people kind of fell into that you know, giant Ponzi scheme where, um, you know, they had commercials, they had Tom Brady, they had like a lot of superstar athletes that people believed in kind of like backing and promoting this, um, 
you know, scam in a sense. So like, what is your thoughts on that? Like with FTX and like why Bitcoin is super important for people more than ever because of that? Yeah, I have really mixed feelings. You know, it's like the famous saying, don't trust, verify for yourself. And on the one hand, I feel bad for anyone who lost money. And I think there are people who definitely might have gotten put off from the space. But I also think FTX forged a whole new uh, set of Bitcoin maximalists. People were like, oh, so that's why they say not your keys, not your cheese. That's why they say don't keep, uh, you know, any Bitcoin on exchange. I heard Jameson Lop once say or tweet out that, you know, uh, exchanges should be treating like treated like public restrooms. <laughs> I think there's a lot of truth. It's like you get in, you get out, you get your Bitcoin, you bring it self custody, and you don't have to worry about it. So on the one hand, I think it's ridiculous what Sam did. I actually wrote another article for Bitcoin Magazine, kind of talking about now that Tom Brady's retired, I hope he can see the way the virtues of Bitcoin maximalism. I know he's busy playing football, so he probably didn't look much into it. He, you know, they had the backing of BlackRock, Sequoia, all these big other, you know, all these big investment hedge funds, whatever. Um, and, and most of these people were just like, oh, well, they're in. Well, I don't have to do my due diligence. I'm just going to go ahead and trust because they're in. And that's such a symptom of the fiat world, not doing your due diligence, not taking the time and effort. You know, if it's good enough for BlackRock to invest a billion dollars, it's good enough for me to invest a billion dollars in. And uh, that ethos is just so prominent throughout fiat currency. And, and I think in Bitcoin, it's a, it's a completely different mindset, you know, you can definitely get burned in Bitcoin if you don't know what you're doing. If you fat finger something, there's no recourse. I mean, it, it's a nice thing about a credit card. If you swipe your credit card and it turns out you got scammed, you can call up your bank and say, hey, and who knows, maybe in a Bitcoin, hyper Bitcoinized world, there are banking services like that where you can deposit some sats and have chargeback, uh, you know, uh, chargeback. Yeah, exactly. But it's, uh, it's just one of these things where you have to learn how to do it yourself or you're going to get burnt. And uh, unfortunately, I think pain is the best teacher in a lot of cases. So sad to see the people lost money, but I'm happy to see that a lot of people learned, you know, FTX is essentially just fiat 2.0. All other cryptocurrencies seem to be fiat 2.0. And part of me kind of has some uh, understanding for the stable coins and people and less developed countries who just really need dollars and can't stomach the volatility of Bitcoin. But I think in a hyper Bitcoinized world, you know, I love the metaphor of like stable coins are just scaffolding so we can build this beautiful hyper Bitcoinized world and get past this whole system where everyone's just trusting each other and looking to celebrities like Tom Brady and Larry David and others to let them do their due diligence for investing, even though these people are actors and football players and they're, they're not financial experts. So we should have been trusting them in the first place. Exactly. And do you think that like the Bitcoin culture is what's keeping people from being orange pilled? Like when you look at Twitter and you see like the quote unquote toxic maximalism or um, people being really harsh for newbies or people that start talking about alternative coins, do you think that that culture or the purported culture that they show people on social media and all the FUD that they kind of promote. Do you think that that's what's really keeping people from being orange pilled or even stopping you from orange pilling your friends? Yeah, I, I think that's like another paradox in the space. You know, no one can do the work for you. You know, it, it's great to listen to as many perspectives as possible and try and keep an open mind. And I think there've been a lot of Bitcoin maxis who have saved a lot of people. I think there've been a lot of Bitcoin maxis who have probably hurt a lot of people's feelings. But truth be told, those Bitcoin maxis have had to put up with you know, especially the ones who like the OGs and have just been through cycle after cycle, they've just seen this process play out over and over and over and just a whole new round of shit coins coming up every single time. So I understand why they're not uh, so patient. And it's kind of one of these paradoxes where a lot of these Bitcoin maxis have saved people a lot of money. 
and then they've also pissed off a lot of people. And in my personal opinion, they've probably done more good than they've done harm. But I, I think for anyone who might be thinking or who might be put off by the quote unquote Bitcoin maxi community because some people are mean online, get as many perspectives as you can, read as many things as possible and go, go verify for yourself. You know, just because one Bitcoin maxi is mean doesn't mean another one's going to be. And, and honestly, I think most Bitcoin maxis are coming from a good place because they just understand how important it is we fix the money and uh, what a moral case it is. And uh, w once you kind of see what Bitcoin is, it's hard to have time to try and put up with a shit coiner, especially someone who's not actually trying to make quality coherent arguments with you, but someone who's just trying to pump their own bags or, or make you look like an idiot. You know, that's, that's why Bitcoin maxis are so toxic because they're tired of uh, people trying to orange wash their shit coins and say, Oh, this is Bitcoin, but better in some way. It's crazy because people would say that, you know, people that are maximalist in the Bitcoin arena have no morality or they're rude or harsh. But in reality, they're trying to save you from the people that don't have morality, where they'll have no issue taking money from you or forcing you to say, hey, you can get a 10 or 20 percent gain on this alternative coin when they know in the back of their mind that it's not true. So like they hurt a lot of people with these schemes and these scams. And there's this different uh, separation between Bitcoin and crypto. And I think a lot of people mix the two. So when something happens in the cryptocurrency market, like FTX, for example, um, Bitcoin somehow gets blamed or people try to loop in Bitcoiners with what the cryptocurrency people are doing. And that's why I love your mission and your story, Connor, because you're kind of like this new energy coming into the space and you already know you're already orange pilled. Like I'm sure you've might've had your alternative coin kind of like loop of issues where you kind of have to like have an awakening, but long story short, at the end of the day, you still figured out that Bitcoin was the de facto, um, you know, currency digital asset that's out there that everybody should get involved in. And it just makes me think about, you know, when I first started getting into the space and how difficult it is to get people to really understand what Bitcoin is and why it's important. And it's like, I wrote so many articles for Bitcoin magazine. Some people looked at it, some people didn't. Now I'm doing the podcast route and I've been getting a lot of like good reception from this because I just think people want to hear from other people that are in the space doing different things. And it's just beautiful to see you on here because I know you have your own podcast and, you know, I watched a couple episodes and yeah, I just wanted to shout you out because, you know, I think that um, anytime you're building something or you're starting new, it's always an uphill battle. But I think in the long term, you know, once we get into hyper Bitcoinization, um, a lot of people are going to come back to this content and say, wow, like these guys figured it out really early. And I actually appreciate them for that. So, you know, if you ever had in the back of your mind, like, you know, thinking about like, why am I doing this? Or, you know, being a Bitcoiner is difficult. Like, you know, hopefully that gives you some, some confirmation that, you know, you're on the right path. Oh, I, I love that idea. You know, I hope one day to have grandkids and I can tell them, yeah, I was using the layer one chain back in the day. I was making transactions on a consensus, consistent basis on the layer one chain. And, uh, you know, it, I, I love the whole Greg Foss. It's for the kids things. Cause I mean, you know, I was joking with my stepdad, you know, I just had a kid and uh, we were looking at the U S debt chart and I think it's uh, debt per taxpayer. I might be off on these numbers, but it's like debt per taxpayer. So not just all but like per taxpayer, it's about $250,000 right now. So in 18 years when my kid is 18 and you know, whether they go to college or get a job, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't think university will be what it is in 18 years with uh, on a Bitcoin standard. When they go get a job to think that, you know, at that point with the way that's going, it'll probably be worth like a million dollars per taxpayer. 
like that they owe that because Uncle Sam just decided to run up a bill. That is absolutely heinous. And the one thing, even I still have a hard time doing, but it's trying to uh, like uncondition myself from this fiat way of thinking, this like Keynesian economic model. And I, I think a lot of times, um, and even though Bitcoiners win most of these arguments, when they're fighting with shitcoiners, quote unquote, a lot of it is like, oh, well, my, you know, shitcoin appreciated X amount, you know, and it's like all looking at it through a USD lens, but USD is not a accurate measuring stick. There are 12 people who control it, who manipulate it. And uh, depending on what they're doing with interest rates or how much they're creating out of thin air, you know, Bitcoin seems to sniff it out pretty well. So if they start creating more of it, Bitcoin seems to go up in price. And if they start, you know, jacking up rates at record paces, it obviously takes a hit. But to try and stop measuring things through uh, fiat lens and to look at what's happening within the Bitcoin community. And I love how Jeff Booth puts it. And just the more time you spend in it, the more excited you get. But like, yeah, this idea where we can send people sats and these value for value models where you're just streaming people money. Um, it, it, yeah, it's hard building something, but it's such a good feeling when you actually do start building something and, you know, you make progress. And, and I think it's going to be a beautiful renaissance of kind of what the U.S. Constitution stands for, where people aren't self-censoring and they're not worried where their next paycheck is going to come from because they have uncensorable money and they're talking on uncensorable platforms like uh, Noster and they're able to, you know, put out how they really feel without having to worry about self-censoring because they're going to get fired from their job and then they're not going to be able to fund themselves or whatever other reason they might, you know, self-censor in today's uh, climate. Yeah. And even um, to expound more on that, you know, you can add a layer on top of Bitcoin where um, like Noster, for example, if people really like your content or a particular tweet or message that you put out there, people can give you zaps or like on Twitter, you have, you know, the lightning network where you can get tips. But think about how much that's going to change the game, because there's people literally just putting content out there or putting out messages, whether they're positive affirmations or whatever. And it's kind of like just getting retweeted or liked. And these big social media companies are actually monetizing that and making a lot of money off of it. And Bitcoin kind of comes in to be this like middleman, which is in theory, it's against being the middleman, but it's the middleman in between, you know, the user or the consumer and these big mega tech companies where now you can actually get paid for your tweets or get paid for your messages that people actually like. And I think that that's paradigm shifting because now that model of just being a consumer is turning you into being a monetized creator. And I think that that's super important, especially in this digital age where, you know, you talked about the price of Bitcoin. And I personally think the price of Bitcoin is subjective. Anytime you see the price um, swaying or going up or going down, it's really the emotional connection that the investor has with the asset. And a lot of times it's being pegged on the financial traditional legacy markets where it's like being treated as a quote unquote stock. And, you know, it's different because it's like a stock, but it's not because the true people that understand Bitcoin, they're not looking at, you know, analyst charts and, you know, they're not looking at what the price is doing. They're buying it no matter what the price is because they understand the value of Bitcoin. They don't care if it's a million a coin or a penny a coin. They're holding on for the long term because they know like when the other shoe drops, it's only, it's the only thing that's going to matter. 
it's not going to matter about how much, you know, how much your stock portfolio has or how much money do you have in your bank account that's in fiat. It's really going to matter about that finite scarcity 21 million. That's like super important. And that's why I do this podcast because I want to show the world that, you know, different people from all over the world, whether they're black, white, purple, from all different places in, on the globe, they're all focusing in on Bitcoin and they know why it's important. So I try to reach out to them and try to gain, you know, the sources of their Bitcoin knowledge at the best of my ability. Yeah, it's money for everyone. And uh, if you look at, you know, the people in the legacy system, who, who who are they propping up? People like FTX, you know, people who are playing these fiat games. And like Caitlin Long warned about for so long, you know, when uh, the tide goes out, it was clear that these people did not have the Bitcoin they owed other people. And then, you know, if you want some signal, just look at what the regulators did when someone like Caitlin Long or Kraken, and I, I know Kraken has shit coins, but like, you know, Jesse Powell seems to at least, you know, have his heart in the right place. Like when people warn the regulators and they try to tell them, hey, you know, they're doing illegal stuff. They're they're not going, you know, they're not following regulations. They're not following the rules. They're playing these fiat games. The regulators still went after Custodia and Kraken a lot harder than they went after something like FTX. And it was like such a big blow up that obviously they, they've done something now. But like the fact that, you know, SBF got out on bail and is that his parents' house? I mean, it just tells you all you need to know about this current system. To your point earlier too, it's like, you know, just feeding likes and retweets to an algorithm that, you know, we don't really know how it's working. And it's, uh, you know, it's it literally takes like next like the friction to send a zap is almost nothing but i do think people are going to be more cognizant all right i'm spinning a satoshi because like i really do value what they just said whereas like if i'm clicking a like like the amount of shit posts i've liked that i'm just on stupid stuff you know i might laugh at them but i'm probably not going to send them a zap if it's like that low quality or that you know um it just it wasn't a well thought out tweet whereas i think you get better content filtered, you know, I think in the fact that these algorithms on Nostra and stuff is open source and you can sign up, you know, you have full control of your entire feed. I think over a long time horizon, especially as these younger generations come up and they're, you know, they're so, uh, I know there's issues with like ADHD and kids using social media too much, but for the most part, technology is going to be like second nature to them. And I think it's just going to be so much better and so much healthier and people are going to be able to optimize in ways that we can't even realize how profound it is that their feeds are going to be content they value, that the algorithms filtering it are going to be through zaps and uh, just more well thought out uh, algorithms that filter the best stuff to the top versus, you know, a lot of like, you know, reminded of if like the typically a news outlet would be like if it leads or if it bleeds it leads and they just show the most uh the the content that sparks the biggest emotion out of someone whether it's negative or bad and i think you'll see much less of that on these up-and-coming platforms because you know we, we don't need to the the incentives aren't to provoke an emotion so people stay on so they can see more ads it's uh, let's create the best quality content so people will want to send me value for what i created and i think that is just going to create so many amazing opportunities for individuals like ourselves who are trying to spread the good word and show people why they should spend more time in the Bitcoin space than in the legacy system. A hundred percent. That value for value is what's key. 
And, you know, this is my last point, Connor, before we wrap this up. But, you know, the ethos of Satoshi Nakamoto, whether that's he, they, she, we don't know who this individual was, but we do know that they got fed up with, you know, the bailouts of the banks, you know, the scheming and the stealing of, you know, the stock market and things of that nature. And my last question to you, Connor, is what is your call to action for the young people out there just getting into Bitcoin or people that might want to create content or write for Bitcoin magazine? What would be like your words of inspiration for them if they have no idea about Bitcoin or they're nervous or they just want to get into the the space? Like, what would you tell them? Yeah, I, I'm reminded of a Jimmy Song just wrote a great Substack on it. And it's basically like motivation doesn't mean anything. It's all about having the discipline. So to anyone who's thinking about doing something, start and then have the discipline to stick with it, whether, you know, you're going to write every day or, you know, you're going to read something and then, you know, do, do a podcast on it to give out your thoughts or whether you're a coder and you want to create something, just get started, actually, you know, do it and have the discipline to, to see it through. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's, it's such a rewarding thing. I, I think in this information age, it's, it's amazing that we just have access to a- almost anyone on the Internet. But I think it can be a bit overwhelming and difficult not just to give into those cheap dopamine hits of scrolling your feed, whether it be on Twitter or Instagram or wh- whatever platform you prefer. Um, but actually taking the time to have the discipline to sit down and do the hard work. And then when you do start, you know, getting some traction, it is such a rewarding feeling. And uh, I I think Bitcoin is just going to make it, I don't want to say easier than ever, but it's going to uh, allow people to thrive in ways they could have before. It's going to make it harder for corporations and uh, bad actors in government to censor people who are, you know, making totally fair points. And it's going to, you know, bring in this whole renaissance where, we, we don't have to rely on any middlemen, you know, to your point, it's like, yeah, I guess, yeah, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network is the middleman, but the difference between the Bitcoin network and, uh, you know, say one of the 12 people on the FOMC controlling, you know, the credit markets is Bitcoin is just a network that it's just math and open source code that you can verify for yourself. And I just tell people, don't trust, go verify for yourself. Don't listen to me or you go actually, you know, read the white paper, read Satoshi's email, see what he was saying you know, see what this, uh, this space is about and see why people who, who do get so hooked on this space won't want to spend more time here. It's not just because we, we're trying, I mean, obviously it's when when we want to pump our bags at some point, like everyone would love to see their purchasing power appreciate. It's like the more time you spend in this space, like you, it's just kind of a foregone conclusion. Yeah, my purchasing power is going to appreciate. Now I just got to help as many other people get on this life raft. And I, and I want them to go verify for themselves, not just, you know, take my word. For, I'm not a financial expert. You know, I'm, I might be better than Tom Brady and Larry David, I guess. But <laughs> so I'm still no financial expert. So go verify for yourself is what I'd say. Yeah, that's, that, <clears throat> that's powerful, Connor, man. I really appreciate, you know, your, your words of wisdom for, for the audience. And um, give people your social media handles and any future endeavors you want to talk about before we wrap this up. Oh, I appreciate that. I'd love to have you on my show. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Connor Chetnik. I got to spend more time on Noster. You know, I made one. Um, I got the Domus app, but I got to actually sit down and learn how to do the web client. Um, so at some point, I'll probably put my NPUB on my Twitter profile. But yeah, find me on Twitter. Uh, you you know, if you want to come on the pod or if uh, someone's writing an article and, you know, wants some feedback, I'd, I'd be happy to help. I, I think the more people we can help onboard, it just creates so many win-win situations where, if we do want to get to that, you know, post-scarcity world that you kind of brought up, 
I think we need more people in Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin's the only system that allows it. And I think in the fiat system, it's full of lose-loses, you know, where people are trying to take advantage of others. And the Bitcoin system is just full of win-win situations. So, uh, yeah, get in touch. Love to hear from people online and appreciate you having me on. I do. I love talking about Bitcoin with others. Most definitely. And once again, Connor, I really appreciate this Bitcoin conversation. This has been awesome. I definitely look forward to having you on again at some point to talk some more Bitcoin. Before signing off, man, just have a good one, brother. Hey, likewise, I do. Appreciate the time.